Hello. It's been a little while, hasn't it? Welcome back to another episode of the DeepHell.com podcast. As always, I am your host, the DeepHell.com podcast hoster. Today's content is an interview with the page Tactical Girlfriend, a left-leaning pro-firearm page that I discovered on Facebook at the start of this year. Even though I'll mention it felt like it was years ago, the page is relatively new and features what I think is an interesting take for people who aren't into firearms about firearms. I know the tactical girlfriend probably thought about things in a similar way that I did, so I wanted to pick her brain about not just firearms, but the paramilitary industrial concept, construct, pop culture, and you know, the whole nine yards. The following podcast is about an hour of us discussing all of that. Viewer discretion is advised in case the conversation of fire. <laughs> I'm, I'm not one of those like two monitors people. Otherwise, I'm one of those like and enjoy. Just go one monitor that's as large as it can possibly be. It doesn't have the curve in it, but I do have a light up keyboard. Oh yeah, that's like the next step is the curve. Yeah, you gotta have the curved monitor. The curve new monitors and the big monitor. Yeah, you do the curved monitor, like a side monitor. I've seen some people do like the fully Uh, so I am, of course, with DeepHell.com, and I am here with Tactical Girlfriend, formerly the admin of the famous Facebook page, Tactical Girlfriend. Why don't you tell me a little, and everybody listening who's probably not familiar, a little about who you are before we really deep dive into this. I am Tactical Girlfriend, and I am a content creator for a project to basically make a more inviting and accessible um, perspective on firearms, um, at least from a more alternative sense, as opposed to your standard fair gun culture that we know today. Yeah, a lot of red hats, pickup trucks, American flags. Though I do really like, there's like that pleasant old guy who's got the big firing range in his backyard on YouTube. I really like him. Yeah, Hickok45, he's great. And, um, yeah, not, not a terrible person, apparently. That's good. And I mean, I know, um, I know what people refer to him as like forbidden gun. Jesus, the guy from forgotten (laughs) weapons has like some like major, like lib libertarian anarchist tendencies. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people project their beliefs on him because he's not political at all like it's very yeah. hard to actually nail down where he sits um yeah there's he has a very apolitical by... show exactly and like that's very intentional and i respect it 
it's just, yeah, I think everyone likes to say, oh, he's one of us. And I'm just like, I don't really know actually who he is. And that's okay. Cause he's like, just focused on nerding out about guns and that's it. The way we have gun culture, the way we have now in the United States, how did you get into not just content creating, but kind of what's your relationship to firearms? Um, firearms are, well, I mean, <laughs> I started out being anti-gun, um, growing up in a, you know, pretty mainstream, blase, liberal household. And basically, I happened to have a firearm land my lap. It was a Mosin Nagant rifle, and I kind of begrudgingly got it. It was a gift. Um, and so that kind of opened up my world to what firearms really are. And, you know, in the end, it, it is a tool, and that is my relation to it. That's how I see them. I don't name my guns, not judging anybody who does, but that's just not my thing. And I'm, you know, pretty pretty cut and dry about, you know, whether they're a good utility or not in various situations. Yeah. I've, I've noticed in your videos, just kind of a little bit, you treat firearms with not, I feel like distance isn't the right way to use it, but in reference to how a lot of other gun channels and firearm focused things in our culture do a kind of respect and they are objects that outside of themselves do not have any necessary like political connotations besides just being guns. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at the end of the day with a gun, all you're doing is creating an explosion in a tube to project a small object out of it. It's, it's all just, you know, it's all just like science to me. And obviously that being said, the other side of it is like the enormous cultural weight that it holds. And that is very interesting to me too. So I want to get into that cultural weight in a little while, but before we go on to that, so you've been doing this now for three, four years. Um, as far as. Uh, just kind of running the Facebook page when it still existed. Uh, yeah. How long you've been so doing it for. I've actually tactical girlfriend didn't start until like the beginning of this year, I think. Um, yeah, it was like probably February or March around that time. It just goes to show like, again, everyone already says that this year feels like it's been five years stacked, but I do remember. Yeah, it has. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember now, now that you say it, I do remember like around, I think I want to say February or March, finding your Facebook profile, the, the page tactical girlfriend. And seeing it at like sub 200 subscribers and being like, oh, I'm into yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very young project. It's, I've yet to see where it's really going to go. And um, side note, I have created a new Facebook page. <laughs> it's okay, back. Cool. Well, not the old one, but a, a new one, unfortunately. Yeah. Until Facebook decides again <laughs> to just like crack down on every left-leaning page there yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have uh, friends who run a local group of like, they're like an anarchist libertarian, like food for the homeless group, and their page got shut down. And literally, all they do is organize like group kitchens. I mean, yeah, they got to crack down that soup somehow. Yeah, if they can't do it in person, they got to do it online before you know the soup can get delivered. How was that 
I, I remember a couple of posts from your Facebook page right before it got taken off. How much has, did that really like affect you and affect your like growth? And I feel like these are all like marketing terms I'm using, but how much, how much did that affect you personally when that got shut down? Yeah, that was, um, I mean, I was like actually quite literally depressed about it. And um, yeah, I mean, it was crushing. I, I think Facebook is like a really, really good platform. And I love the way that it's set up for the most part. Yeah. And I just don't, I just don't agree with the way it's ran, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was crushing. Cause like I had gained, I think around that time, almost like 9,000 uh, likes and followers on that page. And yeah, I, you know, at first was like, oh my God, how am I going to rebuild? But like, surprisingly, it's been way easier to rebuild than I ever thought it would be. That's good. I mean, I know you did like a big transition to videos right around the time that happened too. So in a sense, I hope it kind of worked out for you that you were at least able to maybe take a little break from the social media aspect and focus just entirely on making videos of which you have released several since then. And they are all great. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, yeah, the, I, I started YouTube just a tiny bit before all that happened. I, I think I was like three videos probably into it before all that came crashing down. But yeah, I mean, it was, it, it's, it's been surprisingly good overall yeah. on Facebook. Like there's been support yeah. and it's been great. You have to kind of like have a silver lining. Um, God, I don't want to like break KFAB and reference the other recording, but had, did anybody, any of the other larger pages that you kind of look up to reach out to you during that time? Or have you had any back and forth? Um, I know at one point we talked about some of your influences. So have you had any back and forth with those people? You know, I didn't really get any like direct contact from other pages, but like, it seemed like a lot of people were talking about it. Mm -hmm which was kind of a weird spectacle to witness. Um, I did have a lot of really cool individuals who, um, you know, will not be named, who mm -hmm. did work or knew people who worked at Facebook to like try looking into this for me. And like, I had a lot of resources, a lot of people who really like wanted to step up and, and do whatever they could to support. So, you know, it wasn't so much like a, a handful of like really famous people who are like, oh, you know what happened? It was more like, kind of beautiful in the sense that it was like from the ground up just like yeah. a outpouring of just many folks yeah. from all walks of life it wasn't just like a top-down kind of the big people getting attention and support for you like you said it was really people coming together and kind of trying to help you figure out what was going on that's really cool exactly uh, that's, a, that's a very good story for the times we live in right now i think everybody needs to hear kind of stuff like that um well i want to move on to away from talking about the page about how you kind of feel about the relationship between firearms and pop culture. I mean, obviously that's where a lot of our very right wing tendencies to view firearms come from. So do you feel like there is a space in there for more left leaning media, more left leaning exposure and relate like a left leaning pop culture relationship to firearms? I think that like where firearm culture is right now, it's 
very intentionally built to not allow for that. It does not permit any any rhetoric of that sort and like very actively either adopts or even creates and fabricates its own narrative around reaction to left-wing politics. And like, that's been very clear in like the last month or so. Yeah. Um, it's been a wild trip. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's really any breathing room at all. Well. And like that being said, like, I think it's more like, I want to conceptualize it as abandoning that, abandoning that culture in general. And just like, not even necessarily creating a new culture, but just creating a new understanding. So what you were just talking about in respect to examples of how there isn't room for that, do you want to go a little bit more into that? I feel like there's probably some an interesting story there. I mean, I... I just like seen other like gun tube celebrities and like their wild takes in the last two months or so have been just incredible. Um, calling for like open season on like leftists in general and, um, or just like completely regurgitating or fabricating weird conspiracy theories. And it's just like, those are the people who are like the loudest voices in these communities and they're not even telling the truth. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just been wild to see like the, the craze around and quote unquote Antifa and yeah. like, you know, that claiming lots of people claiming that they're starting the fires in Oregon, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, like, it's, yeah, it's, and I actually, I absolutely understand what you're talking about when you say there's, there's no room to open up the, firearm culture there's no room to open up that kind of pair i want to say like paramilitary blood in the american dna for anything slightly more progressive or human leaning or left leaning at all it's it's been completely closed off and just in relationship to politics in the last couple of months like you were saying it's broadly yeah. it's like broadly endemic that doesn't feel like the right thing to say uh it's it's very broadly applicable to like every like top down to politics. There's no room. There's no room open. There's no room to be created. You can't muscle in at all. And it's very much that way by design. Exactly. Like it's, I feel like it's, you know, an openly hostile and very prominent industry um, built around this uh, preservation of a status quo and industrial complex. And that's very reflected in the attitudes of it. Um, it's reflected in the nature of, you know, gun control having it being historically racist while also being supported by the NRA multiple times. Uh -huh. And yeah, I just, I feel like you can't reform that. There's nothing to yeah. nicely and politely ask to change. Um, I think like when I am creating my content and I see the people who do interact with it favorably, they're generally people who are never remotely interested in firearms until people like me started talking about them, them feeling okay about it, or, you know, they just were on, alone doing their own thing, trying to avoid everybody else in the firearms community in the first place. Okay. Do you feel like you are, do you feel like you have an image building in your head of what a new kind of uh, culture application a new space for firearm use looks like on the left. 
It's a really, really good question. I, it's really hard to envision it because it's so abstract right now and mm -hmm. so nebulous to me. Um, I would like to see farms become, you know, again, kind of just like an understanding as a utility mm -hmm. that it's not, you know, this fetishized, you know, tool. And yeah. like, I, I will admit, like, I don't think, I don't think any of us can like escape that image right now because that's just like our context for firearms. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't help but, that there's like decades of years of pop culture of movies like Death Wish and, you know, Call of Duty, of course. It, it feels like you can't talk about firearms in the United States without mentioning Call of Duty now. Exactly. And like, you know, there is the pop culture um, connotation to it that you can't really escape. And like, I can't even escape it. Like my understanding of firearms is very much like informed through that lens. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm definitely a product of my environment. Yeah. And I'll be the first to admit that like, I'm absolutely not infallible and not a product of like some new vision for firearms. I'm just trying to like push into a direction that probably hasn't been pushed into very well. Yeah. And I mean, I, especially what you were saying about being defined by the pop culture of firearms like I, I will admit you know i have played lots of call of duty i still play lots of call of duty i run a scar in call of duty and think god damn it would be really cool to fire a scar even though i would probably never buy one in real life and i feel like that's we were talking about politics around firearms being by design I think that view of firearms is not a tool, but something that's very cool and you should own is also by design as well. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it all comes down to marketing and like the people who produce these guns obviously know how to market them. You know, they'll license airsoft copies. They'll, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll try to get their hands into every single section of, of the popular cultural mind and in zeitgeist and yeah i mean i'm absolutely i absolutely nerd out over them i think they're cool i think they're fun and i enjoy playing video games with them in it i like seeing movies with them in it and um i do really enjoy yeah. that scene where in the last john wick where he like assembles that revolver in the gun museum Oh my God, great. And like every gun nerd is going to like watch that scene over and over again yeah. because it's, it is great. And we're suckers for that. Yeah. <laughs> That's our understanding, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like at some point we're going to need to disconnect ourselves from kind of viewing them as these like really cool, really fun things to use? I, this sounds like it's not an opinion coming from me. I just want to go with the conversation because I love, I've got my pistol. And now I just added like a Ruger farm rifle to my collection. So I enjoy shooting. Yeah. I mean, I do think that the sad part is like when you divorce the, the, the point where you need to divorce yourself from like viewing these items, you know, with some fond eye, it's generally through a pretty dark uh, understanding of it. And like, that's wartime. I don't, I don't know exactly you know, what that's like for everybody. And I'm sure everybody's going to view things differently, but I definitely feel like you're less apt to view these things as fondly as you are when you're actually using them in combat. Yeah. And to kind of go into how you do your videos on the page, one thing I've noticed about Tactical Girlfriend in the videos you make, 
which are very good videos, by the way, I've enjoyed every single one of them, is your content really fits well into other you like the youtube video genre you've got the lighting you've got like the low synth soundtrack in the background like you're really going for a very aesthetic kind of video is that informed more by other people on youtube or is that informed by just your personal sense of aesthetics and how you kind of relate them to firearms um, I think, like, first and foremost, they definitely are informed by my aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just, like, when I was starting to just, like, think up this idea of what these videos would even look like, they were very much informed by, like, where we are presently. Mm -hmm. And, like, we are in the most boring cyberpunk dystopia yeah. you can possibly imagine already. I have a friend who calls it Ikea punk. That's the best way to put it. That's exactly it. And so, you know, I do, I really am a huge sucker for those aesthetics. I am a sucker for cyberpunk aesthetics, um, especially because I do think they're very timely right now. And beyond that, you know, as far as like other creators, like I think Natalie Wynn from ContraPoints, definitely everyone seems to think that like I'm completely ripping off of her. And I'm like, I might be subconsciously doing that. I'm not the biggest ContraPoints fan, but. I definitely appreciate, you know, her aesthetic too. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if that's like just a gay thing or if that's like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's it's just like, are, are all the queer YouTubers just going to use like really colorful lighting and sense? I don't know. But I so mean, far, like that is kind of the way. She has such like a wide variety of aesthetics she pulls from. I really think it's more of like, people who are in the same generation pulling from kind of some of the same sources. As, yeah. For sure. Yeah. As like a person who plays and writes about lots of video games, there are many times in the realm of video games where somebody will say one thing is specifically empire inspired by this other creator's work. And that's like dis that's like disowning the whole body of works outside of that. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, there's a whole cultural context to each generation. And like, you know, her and I are definitely from the same generation, I believe. And yeah, I mean, there is no doubt like a lot of nostalgia mm -hmm. that we have been, you know, going through. And um, we just, embrace it. Yeah, just at this like point. slowly being dragged towards that black hole of like the 80s aesthetic, like the, the cyberpunk, the synth wave those sorts of things yeah exactly and like that's not just like in terms of like the media that we create but also that we consume i mean like stranger things and like, mm -hmm. yeah you know some of the biggest like amazing uh stories and media and music that we listen to is all very very much informed from that era yeah we kind of we got to go go into a conversation before, and I'm I'm bringing this up so I make my I want to make all of my listeners feel like they've missed out on something because that recording didn't work out. But we kind <laughs> of brought up before how pop culture almost depends on recycling very old aesthetics, especially in regards to firearms, and how like I had that line, you know, where I was saying a work can say a firearm is literally the mythological Excalibur. And because that's our whole plane of reference for weaponry in the mo in modern times, our brains will just immediately accept that as okay. 
Like we don't need to recontextualize beliefs or go and go over any old myths or anything like that. It's like our current social template and belief template is readily able to accept and have any of that earlier mythology put in. I feel like that's how we kind of got to the shitty culture we have of these like operator guys in sunglasses posting their Facebook like profile pictures with their rifles from Afghanistan. They feel like they can inhabit like that that warrior template and I feel like we're just recycling a lot of aesthetics and like we were saying before that's how firearm culture has stayed so dominant in the American psyche. It just keeps re recreating and recycling older aesthetics. Right. And I do think like that ties in a lot to the myth of the warrior and like the heritage of the warrior. Yeah. And like, I don't know, I, I feel like guns weren't always so iconic as uh -huh. they are at this point. I think they're more iconic than ever at this point. Um, I think that's largely the fallout of like having an entire culture that has necessarily had to reconcile being in a 19 year war mm -hmm. and how we have to be like, okay, well, we didn't do this for nothing. Mm -hmm. So we got to celebrate it. And yeah, I mean, more than ever, it's, it's like, we have to make up for the tragedy and the darkness of war yeah. by creating the myth of the noble warrior. Yeah, I, I don't know if you read comic books at all, but this kind of idea just popped in my head talking about the myth of the noble warrior. And I was going to kind of bring up Afghanistan and the 19-year war, but you beat me to it. But it's funny to me that during the war on terror, comic books gave Captain America a gun and no one really batted an eyelash at it. But people still freak out about other comic book characters using firearms. And that is just really interesting to me how we're as long as someone's wearing the flag, you can give them a firearm and it's totally okay. Right, because that is very endemic to what that represents, I think. Yeah, that's very that's very interesting. My my brain's going to be on that topic and like in the back of my head all night now. I think I'm going to be going over like all of the characters I remember from pop culture that don't have guns that we've given guns to and no one's really questioned. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's like a really, really like important question to ask right now. And yeah, it's like superheroes, generally like their superpowers were always meant to overcome firepower. Mm -hmm. So like, what does it mean when they start picking up the gun? I think that's like a really interesting question. Yeah. God, I don't, I don't know if you ever saw, but there was like a point in just a couple of years ago where Marvel tried to do a comic with Northrop Gunman partnership. Oh my God. And like sell the idea of working for a military contractor to teenagers and young adults as like this cool thing. That's just like the ultimate synthesis of like where the industrial complex is. And like how all consuming it's like, it's like not even about having recruiting ads at the end of your movie mm -hmm. or the beginning of your movie. It's, it's literally, okay, well, let's skip that step. Let's like talk about the arms industry and like funnel that pipeline. Mm -hmm. It's I brought this up in the last recording and going back to like the whole Excalibur thing. Like, you know, you used to see the military recruitment in gaming magazines years and years ago where they would have like, a dude fighting a fucking dragon on one page with a sword. And the next page, it would be like a guy in like the Navy, 
like saber line with like this could be you and you're not really supposed to think about the first image you're just supposed to think of isn't it cool to have a sword and be in a uniform yeah i remember i think that was an ad for the marines mm -hmm. if if i'm correct i yeah that was that was pretty wild it was like Who's the dragon? Which country? Which country does this represent? Yeah. Which uh, oppressed minority does this represent? Yeah, don't don't think about it. It's just it's really cool to be in a uniform and have a sword. Yeah, sword will pay for college, and like, I don't know. It's that's pretty wild to me that like that was you know that was the idea back then. It was the selling point was the sword. It was it was the symbolism. It's it was something that you would never actually use to fight anything, mm -hmm. and obviously even then that has changed i think that ad was probably from like the late 90s or early 2000s probably yeah i, I want to say it was like just right after right after 9 11 and it was like it was interesting too because if i remember this was definitely like an ad before call of duty had really taken off so that was like the way of pushing into young men who play video games was through like really like fantasy like actual like fantasy in like the western like tolkien sense right yeah and i think that's like a really good point that like then instead of selling them on the you know on the theme they instead created a game mm -hmm. flat to reality to sell them on reality mm -hmm. like call of duty yeah i i do i mean i have a friend i used to work with he was in the marines he's a weekend warrior now I still keep in contact with him because he's just an interesting guy. And, you know, he was one of the first people I talked to about mobile suit Gundam in like, just like a regular, like I just met this random fucking stranger and he knows this anime about giant robots that I really love. And he was like, Oh yeah. And the Marines, they have us watch all of that shit. Mobile suit Gundam. They have us read all these old like science fiction novels. Cause it's all essentially brainwashing to them. That's wild to me. I love Gundam Wing specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and like, that's ironic to me because Gundam Wing is like about how pointless war is mm -hmm. and like how, you know, choosing your side is so incredibly abstract. And, yeah. you know, you can change your sides very easily because it doesn't really mean much. And allegiances, allegiances change. And also just like the fact that like they have this like, cadre of like child warriors mm -hmm. i mean it's pretty dark it's super dark and it's so interesting to me because it really like proves like no matter what a creator's intentions are you can read whatever you want from a piece of media and it especially is kind of like it reminds me you know you see the meme all the time of like the guy being like oh cool robot and the gundam's like shooting the missile over his head with like anti-war child soldiers and stuff like that it's like but it is also a series about cool robots Oh, for sure. And like, this kind of reminds me of like the cool irony of like, um, what is it? Starship Troopers? Mm -hmm. Like, how comically like obtuse the fascism was mm -hmm. in that movie specifically. Um, and how people that like goes over so many people's heads if they don't want to hear that message. And they'll just be like, "Oh yeah, cool. Like, I I want I want to be a starship trooper, and and I love that. Like, this is the future. And it's like, dude, you, you just missed the entire point of the entire movie. Yeah, 
but it's it's like really if people want to again if people want to read that message into it there's still space for them too it just may mean that ultimately on the side of history they're idiots but it's always been really funny to me to hear him say you know like oh yeah and the marines they have us read and watch all of that shit we love anime it's giant robots and big dudes with guns killing each other that's kind of surreal honestly I, I don't know. I can't, of course, comment on like how regular it is for most parts of the Marines, but the fact that at least one dude who did two tours can co- kind of co- corroborate it with me is like, I don't want to use the word terrifying, but kind of hilarious to me. Yeah, it's, it, you know, truly in its own, in its own sense is comical. Now, speaking of comical propaganda i know you'd mentioned to me before maybe not on this podcast but in the previous recording we tried to do that you do or you had played kind of like a little bit of call of duty maybe a lot of call of duty yeah i mean i would say a little bit i've played i haven't played the whole series or anything i started out with you know the original world war ii shooters okay we're good and that feels like such a completely different era now I know, right. It's like a different game Uh series, honestly. Like they do kind of stand on their own. And then I did play like the the first, I don't even know what the hell they call the different uh, titles now. There was the one Modern Warfare and then the last Modern Warfare. I played those bookends of that series. I haven't played anything in between them though. Yeah, uh, they did like Modern Warfare, and then they did Black Ops, and then they had Black Ops where people had jetpacks. And I'm I don't like to consider myself a sucker for propaganda, but jetpacks are <laughs> very cool. And then they've they've got like their new like Warzone as the free to play. But I, I kind of wanted to. I, I don't know if you still play video games. We didn't really talk about that last recording we did. Yeah, so I definitely still do play video games. Um, not nearly as often as I used to these days. Uh, before I get in more, before I get into more serious stuff, do you mind if I supply some levity and ask you what it is that you play right now? Yeah, absolutely. So, for the most part these days, I do play Insurgency Sandstorm, and mm-hmm. when I'm really feeling up to it, I might play a little bit of Squad. Okay. I'm like, I don't play a lot of first person shooters anymore. So I'm like furiously Googling Insurgency Sandstorm on my phone. <laughs> uh, I don't need to talk about my game tastes because everybody who reads my website knows I play like really old games and like anything with geysers of blood and lots of metal. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's cool. I respect that. So for like Insurgency Sandstorm, what's the draw to that for you? I mean, to be honest, like I'm a sucker for immersion and reality. Mm-hmm. I like realistic mechanics and things like that, um, which is like kind of part of why I actually really kind of hate Call of Duty because I yeah. don't think it's realistic enough. Um, same with, oh like, yeah, especially- Call of Duty. Sorry, Call of Duty's like really turned into an arcade shooter over the last couple of years. It really is. And like same with Battlefield and I don't know. Those the mechanics just like I don't really wanna, you know, have suspension of disbelief unless I'm doing some like 
fantasy game or you know some like something like Fallout, uh, which I also do really love the Fallout series. But yeah, I don't know. It's the the draw to me is like really good physics and mechanics and you know as we're talking about before you know i i like to nerd out on the guns um and that that game is really good for that and then like squad the main draw for that is like the extreme significance of like teamwork and like i really really like good games that rely on teamwork more than anything because i think that's also just like a much better way of playing a game anyway yeah if you're already doing multiplayer it's like why don't you strongly encourage a team to actually yeah. work together yeah uh, and i mean it definitely feels like through the last couple of years game developers especially in like war first person shooters have been trying to go for more hectic more close quarters and it's like no the thing i actually love is putting the white crosshair over a guy who's four pixels wide and counter-strike and pulling the trigger like that's why i play these <laughs> games oh for real i think like that's also a really interesting dynamic that maybe is reflective of how warfare is right now too. And like how that's informed from reality into video games and like warfare these days, since the war on terror, especially like has largely taken place in when it's not in like large mountains and valleys of mm -hmm. Afghanistan, it is in a city. Yeah. And like the most fantastic raids that people, you know, could cite in recent history have all been like special forces teams, you know, storming a compound and and taking somebody out. And so therefore, like a lot of CQB is informing how battles even look in the first place, which yeah. is probably why these games are, you know, more focused in the chaos of, of CQB yeah, over any larger field of play. There was a really good article, I, I wish I had it on hand right now, by a writer who, I think they published it, unfortunately, for a website I hate, about Call of Duty Modern Warfare and how it doesn't really reflect like the actual like terror and like horrifying carnage of what's going on in the Middle East with like drone strikes and economic sanctions and things like that, and still kind of tries to reduce our pop culture perception of war to a you know a good and evil a the heroic operators versus the evil nondescript they don't speak your language people of whatever fucking place video games set these games in now i i haven't played the last couple of call of duties so i'm not an expert anymore yeah and you know i think it's important to acknowledge that like that is definitely like been the trend and it seems to be interesting like that video games are definitely like trying to mimic what is happening in real life but they are definitely containing it within the excitement of the battle mm -hmm. and decontextualizing it oh, from absolutely. any of the implications that like war has including like malnourished kids and infrastructure damage and um disease and all the other terrible things like you know it's it's like when you're playing the game and you win the battle it's like okay who like takes those bodies off the field and tends to the wounded you're you're not going to even re remotely acknowledge that that's a reality yeah there was an indie game called this war of mine where you play like someone held up in a building with their family fending off kind of like american troopers and it has a big subtext of like pulling bodies of people you know away from the destruction 
but it still also ultimately boils down to being a cool guy who's shooting the other guys with like a big ass rifle. And it's interesting that no matter like how much nuance we're looking for, that's always the message we go back to. Right. Yes. I am very familiar with that game. Um, I've not personally played it, but I have a lot of friends who have, and I was kind of very um, interested in that game because it was trying to uh, upend the dynamic that like most first person shooters have where they're just glorifying war. And even then, you know, yeah, it does like kind of still end up giving in to the the gamer instincts mm -hmm. and what the gamer wants because like you can't sell a video game that is truly yeah. um, a reflection of war. It's no one wants to actually do that. That's no the thing. That, yeah. Even when they think they do. It feels like it feels like increasingly as times we get into get more desperate as our 19 year war inevitably turns into like a 20 year war, a 21 year war, a 23 year war probably. We're looking for nuance, but no one wants to just describe what's actually happening. Right, yeah, because everyone's like afraid to acknowledge that because I think that reality is way too horrific to actually fully understand. So as we delve out of the horrifying aspects of the world, I want to ask you kind of a question that's just like off the top of my brain. What would a tactical girlfriend video game look like? <laughs> that's a really, really good question. Um, God, that's a, that's a terrifying question. <laughs> you just what we've discussed here. Um, I don't know. I I would almost rather because we have enough first-person shooters that are at least somewhat realistic, like. I think it would be kind of cool to have like a futuristic, more cyberpunk shooter. And I know cyberpunk 2077 is coming out at some point. And so that's got, that's got a whole host of issues I can't get into on this podcast. I know, I know, but it'll be interesting. And it's going to definitely stand out from the crowd. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I think like creating a fantasy world that is like near future um, with really good artsy aesthetics and like, yeah, just just generally like a visually immersive and interesting first-person shooter for me would be good. Set in a timeline that is alternate to ours, um, that does introduce like really really good aspects of acknowledging the realities of mm -hmm. like conflicts, as well as like adding a maybe like a noir kind of aspect to it. Yeah. That's interesting to me. I I felt like that answer was going to go somewhere different, but I like kind of what you said. I was picturing a game where you were you would say like, you know, like it's an open world game, but you mostly just drive to and from your house and to the range and you spend a lot more time cleaning and doing maintenance on firearms <laughs> than you do firing them. That would be like, yeah, I mean, I guess like if you took tactical girlfriend too, it's like logical conclusion, mm -hmm. then yeah, it would just be a firearms training like VR yeah. uh, game, basically. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, like bringing that up, I, I, I definitely know I spend a lot of time cleaning and like making sure my gun works instead of just getting to fire it. 
It's really important. And that's like something that I think most farm owners shy away from. Yeah. <laughs> like it is kind of astounding to me, like how lax people are on cleaning their guns. And I do know that like a good gun these days can go pretty long without cleaning and still reliably operate. But nonetheless, I just sleep better at night knowing that my guns are not completely like sludged up oh, with carbon. Yeah. Well, to move from the topic of what would a tactical girlfriend video game look like now that we've now that I've got this setting firmly picked up, have you seen the trailer for Call of Duty uh, Cold War? Yes. Yes, I have. So as kind of relating to the, of course, the, like the U.S. imperialist wing, like the paramilitary military industrial complex. It's a first-person shooter where you kill communists under direct order from Ronald Reagan. Yep. And it's, yeah. it's like, you know, all of this pop culture we go through, why do you think it really still comes back that even as we acknowledge like the horrors of the Cold War now, do you have any opinions on why you think it still comes back that we can, in the U.S., view the left wing in other countries, especially as the bad guy? I mean, considering that for one, like I'm pretty sure Call of Duty is pretty heavily bankrolled by the military (laughs) and the surrounding firearms industrial complex, like, and the context in which those rest, like we were talking in Mm. the beginning here about and how they very much lean very heavily on that rhetoric that it's like it really truly comes as no surprise in this in this time of like political strife of all times that they would select you know something where it's specifically hunting the reds and like that is that is your entire premise of your newest shiniest like pop culture franchise you know in like a time especially it's people have pointed out you know it's so ghastly that in a time when more people in america are willing to identify themselves as far left it's like particularly ghastly and seems like it goes specifically towards one kind of audience that you know the whole game even if they didn't intend to the game is going to be picked up by like a certain audience oh and i think that's absolutely intentional i don't think there's any mistake there about that and yeah, I mean, we live in a very interesting political time where I think people either have chosen or are forced to polarize their politics here. If they were right-leaning, they are far right at this point. If they're left-leaning, they're far left at this point um, as like the relative center of the U.S. has been deeply hollowed out and, and it's inept and everybody knows it. So everyone is going to, you know, kind of veer off to their own further destination. Yeah. It's interesting still, too, that, you know, pop culture still very obviously has that space for the Red Scare as being like this looming nightmare for the American identity. It's like we've... The country thinks the American people have had this deep-seated insecurity for like 40 years now. Well, like, that's my favorite part about the last election cycle, which was, like, a complete nightmare show um, (laughs) that we're going to have to witness again in even more intense context here in a few months. Like, that 
the liberals, the Democrat, the DNC, they specifically, you know, exhumed McCarthy's rotten corpse to propagandize against Trump. And like that specifically they were using red baiting and the red scare to label Trump as a communist because he had Russian ties because apparently Russia is still communist. And there's just, it's, it's like different, like galaxy brain takes of just horrible cultural connotations and misunderstandings that are like weaponized uh, for no reason against a, a candidate who is further right than whoever is using it in the first place. It's, yeah. It was just, yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, before I get on to the final and closing topic, people probably don't care about the deephandle.com statement on this, but from Tactical Girlfriend, do you think it's important for people right now to be buying and familiarizing themselves with firearms? That's a really, really good question. And I'm, I have a really hard time with this because I obviously am a human and I don't want to create alarm. And like half the time, I'm actually probably trying to calm people down more than they probably should be calmed down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I'm, I do generally discourage people from panic buying guns. Um, I don't think that ends well for anybody that, involved that, and especially the owner. That definitely doesn't end well. And I, I reference, if I remember from one of your videos, I have friends around me who are like, I need to buy a gun. And I'm like, the most important thing to remember when you buy a gun is that you should shoot it, handle it and have fun with it. Because otherwise you're going to like paranoidly stare at it on your desktop drawer. And that's not a good situation to be in. Yeah, I mean, there's no, no, um, there's no shortage of reasons not to buy a gun. Um, mm -hmm. They're not for everybody. And like, if you're suicidal, mm -hmm. I would very, 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 yeah. very strongly think about that decision if you're thinking about buying a gun right now. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. And like, I don't think everybody needs a gun. Mm -hmm. And I especially don't want people making themselves a liability to themselves. Mm -hmm. And like, even if they do want a gun, like they need to have time to train with it properly. They can't just like scoop something up and throw it in their closet and then one day be fiddling around with it and they don't know what they're doing and, you know, accidentally hurt themselves. Like yeah. you got to have, you got to make the time for the gun. And if you aren't anticipating like in your mind, some, you know, fantasy civil war to, you know, happening on the near horizon here, like within the next few months, I would say you are way too late. And, uh, um, just have a baseball bat and like, good luck. Um, <laughs> cause now is not the time yeah. you should have been doing this years ago. Um, so I don't know. I do want to discourage panic buying. I want to discourage panic in general. I don't think that everyone needs to like have their, their absolute worst case scenario be their primary motive, mm -hmm. uh, for how they live their lives. And That's that being said, yeah, I also think that, you know, if you are concerned and you think that a firearm is the most logical course of action and you will dedicate the time and the resources to properly learning how to use it, then yes, by all means, please go ahead. But also good luck because everything is sold out. Yeah, it's very hard to find firearms anywhere. Well, uh, to wrap up, is there anything you're working on as Tactical Girlfriend that you'd like to talk about or disclose or kind of what's the future right now for 
the kind of things you create? Honestly, you know, I'm only six videos into my YouTube channel and I just want to keep doing that. Honestly, I just want to keep creating more interesting and useful videos that will help most farm owners who have been estranged from mainstream farm culture and, you know, even potentially maybe create some new perspectives for folks who otherwise may not have had them. Cool. Well, I really think that's that's kind of like the end list of all of the questions I have. And I think we got a good 10 minutes more than we did last time. So it's going to look really good when I upload this to the place where I put my podcasts that I have one episode awesome. longer than 15 minutes. Great. Um, well, thanks for coming on. I had a blast talking to you and getting to pick your brain about a, ver a variety of firearm and uh, pop culture firearm related uh, issues. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah. If I, uh, if I ever come up with at least five more questions to ask you, I would love to invite you back on, but everybody Absolutely. who is listening, this has been deepel.com with tactical girlfriend. Um, and where can people find you right now? Okay. So let me think here. Cause the URLs have changed, uh, mm -hmm. especially Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Um, so first and foremost, youtube.com slash tactical girlfriend. Um, facebook.com slash tactical girlfriends, instagram.com slash tactical GF and twitter.com slash tactical GF as well. Sorry for the inconsistency cool. there. No, it's totally fine. Uh, if I am good as a podcast host at all, I will include links in the description of wherever I upload this to. Awesome. Thank you. No problem. Well, you have a good night and that wraps us up. So uh, see everybody next time when I upload another episode in four months. Thank you for listening to the DeepHell.com podcast. You can always support us on Patreon.com backslash DeepHell. Put it in all caps if you're really feeling the mood. <laughs>